in the urine model data that's been used actually for the BA4, BA5 registration in the United States, when they looked at some of that data in terms of the mice that got the BA1 vaccine, the one that's currently used in Canada, they actually saw BA4, BA5 antibodies that were actually comparable to the BA4, BA5 vaccine. When they looked at those mice, when they challenged them with BA4, BA5, they saw markedly reduced inflammation and viral loads in their lungs, so kind of the correlate of serious disease, with both a BA1 and a BA4-5 vaccine. So I think, again, it may not be exactly as perfect as a BA4, BA5 vaccine, but I think the differences are smaller than we think. And again, goes with even our natural infection model, where we see data from places like Portugal, people that have had BA1 are still very protected against BA4, BA5. So this really talks to immune broadening. This is what our body does. It, it, it enhances protection. It slowly evolves protection. It becomes more affinity for protection over time. And we have these responses that can be adapted, that can not only be for the vaccine that we had and can be for the variant that we may not have seen and may see in a few months' time. Hi, my name is Dr. Zane Chagla, and you're listening to the Find My Vaccine podcast. Well, it's that time of year. There's a chill in the air. Soon, we'll see the leaves falling. There's also a few viruses that may be circulating. And we have a new phase of the COVID pandemic we're trying to fight. The big challenge facing us all, uptake of booster vaccines has not been near anywhere as high as the primary series at the start of the rollout of the entire campaign. How do we move the dial? comes to boosters. We know that Omicron is better at evading existing vaccines and previous strains, which may be the reason to have a new updated COVID-19 bivalent booster now rolling out across the country. Let's hear from Health Canada's Chief Medical Health Advisor and Find My Vaccine faculty, Dr. Supriya Sharma. While the vaccine was designed to more specifically target the Omicron BA1 subvariant, we know that this vaccine also generates a good immune response against the Omicron subvariants BA4 and BA5 that have more recently emerged. This booster is also intended to extend the durability of protection. This will help us face the next wave. We're going to break down all you need to know about the COVID-19 bivalent vaccine, which targets multiple SARS-CoV-2 strains, what you need to tell your patients, how should we be messaging and communicating on the front lines? Stay tuned for our Ask the Expert segment where we pose your questions to our guest expert. He's no stranger to the podcast. We have with us Dr. Zane Chagla. He's also the star of something called the Bivalent Booster Dragon's Den, which <laughs> I highly, highly encourage you to watch. I would basically call it part reality show, part educational program, probably more educational, but with a flair and it's a session where he's on the hot seat and there's judges from across the country. And keep in mind, these judges are not uh, actors. They're healthcare providers who grill him basically on the efficacy and safety on the bivalent COVID boosters. It seems like a lot of fun. Zane, how are you? I'm well, yeah. I mean, I, I can't say we've lived out bivalent vaccines, but I think that was as close to uh, living out the experience as much as possible in that sense. Absolutely. It was great. Let's get right into it because I think our listeners have an idea of who is Zane. They know you're a big Raptors fan. Yeah. Hopefully that's not changed since we last no, spoke. No, 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 still going. Fantasy drafts are starting next week. I've not done any research. So if your listeners have tips, please feel free to email me because I think I'm way too far behind to, to try to figure it out right now. Excellent. Okay, well, info at myvaccinepodcast.com. <laughs> We'll definitely pass any tips and tricks to Zane. We might steal some ourselves as well. <laughs> All right. So we know that these 
updated bivalent boosters are now in circulation. They're coming to pharmacies and clinics, and there's a lot of chatter about this new booster. Why do we need updated COVID-19 boosters? So number one, let's just take a step back and realize this mRNA technology we've used for current vaccines from 2020 has been remarkable that we've largely limited the morbidity and mortality from this disease with vaccines that were programmed towards the original coronavirus, the ancestral strain, uh, that three doses in most populations can markedly reduce the risk of COVID-19 death and disability. And so I think we, we have very good tools that we can use to this point. But I think we have to recognize that the virus is mutating to become more immunovasive. And the immunity we've generated from vaccines and from infections, again, has done a good job in protecting us, but virus is finding ways to escape that immunity. Maybe not to make us uh, seriously ill, although we do know certainly people that do become seriously ill in breakthrough infections, those who are compromised mm-hmm. elderly, major comorbidities, but the, the virus is finding its way to infect people, reinfect people, or first infect people that are maximally vaccinated. And so I think this is it, where we have the blessing of this technology, which not only is rapidly developed and gotten in the population has been efficacious and safe, But also Mm -hmm. we have the benefit of being able to modify this technology in order to deal with currently circulating variants and actually try to catch up a little bit with the virus and reestablish immunity to what the virus looks like it today as compared to 2020. So it's really about adapting the vaccine to ensure that it's as effective as it was when we originally had the first version of the vaccines, but also there's new circulating Omicron strains present and that there's immune response mounted essentially to these. Absolutely. And again, the immunity in this population, particularly stake we have to put in the ground for most of the population is to develop Omicron immunity. Some people have gotten that through natural infection, although again, there is even in Omicron variation that's that's even outlasting that in that sense. So I think that's it. It's a way to catch up the population. It's a way to get Omicron protection in the population. It's a way to boost that protection going into a tricky season where we're going to see more transmission. We're probably seeing more transmission globally right now and really gets people on the same page as the critical period. So along those lines, you talked a little bit about the why, but for our listeners, what exactly is a bivalent mRNA vaccine? You alluded to the platform and how it's nimble how we can tailor and adapt it relatively quickly. But tell us a little bit more about what makes this vaccine unique. So, you know, remember how our mRNA vaccines work? These are almost like pre-protein vaccines where we inject the mRNA, which programs our body to make the spike protein, which then generates the immune response to spike protein, gives our body a heads up in terms of how to deal with the virus as if they've seen it already once. The original COVID-19 vaccine was programmed with a segment of mRNA that looked like the spike protein of the ancestral COVID-19 strain. What's happened here, though, is that they've kept about half of the vaccine looking the same, 25 micrograms of the Moderna vaccine looking like the ancestral COVID-19 strain. But the other half is now modified that the mRNA, the instructions on how to make the protein, are now adapted to look like the Omicron strain. And so you now have the instructions for your body not only to make the original COVID-19 spike protein, but also the instructions on how to make the spike protein to Omicron. And then again, use that to program our body's immune response to now 
be able to recognize Omicron infections with antibodies and other immune effector cells, uh, along with the original COVID-19 virus. Right. So the vaccine contains an equal amount of ancestral strain and an equal amount of Omicron BA1 strain. So here in Canada, with what's currently available, it's the BA1 Omicron subvariant-based vaccine. Is that correct as of now? Correct. So yeah, the current available formulation of the market is a vaccine that has half of it as the ancestral strain and half of it with a modified mRNA to BA1. So I know there is a relatively recent New England Journal of Medicine article that looked specifically at this new bivalent vaccine and looked at the shot's safety as well as its efficacy. So tell us, I mean, what did it show in terms of the outcomes? Did this trial actually compare uh, the bivalent vaccine to the ancestral strain vaccine, the monovalent vaccine? Yeah, so they took about 400 individuals in each arm and looked at individuals who not only not had a COVID-19 infection, but also some of them that had a COVID-19 infection in the past. They gave half of them as a fourth dose, the original, again, ancestral COVID-19 vaccine. And then they gave half of them the bivalent BA1 vaccine. And they looked at their immune responses. They looked at safety. They looked at a variety of factors. And so in terms of safety, the reactogenicity or the side effect profile was pretty similar to that of fourth doses of the original vaccine. There wasn't any SAEs or serious adverse events. And again, participants had similar side effects to a vaccine as they would have with the original COVID-19, a sore arm, a small number with fevers, nausea, feeling a bit off, headaches, all of them self-limited and uh, resolving. But the interesting part was when they started looking at the antibody data around what happened with these vaccines. And so as a fourth dose, we saw much higher antibody levels to the Omicron or BA1 variant. So that neutralizing antibodies were higher for those who received a bivalent vaccine as compared to the original vaccine. Interestingly, they saw that difference was not only seen in people that had never had a prior infection, but was actually seen as well in people that had a prior infection, suggesting that you could really even boost those people's antibody levels. And interestingly, they showed that antibody levels in people that had a bivalent vaccine actually were higher than original vaccine for the original COVID-19 strain, the ancestral strain, as well as some of the variants of concern like alpha, beta, and delta. And so again, there is a little bit more to this story than just a vaccine being there for a single strain. As we know, our body is complex and it's able to digest and adapt and broaden immunity if needed. And there was a little bit of proof of principle there that this vaccine, even though it was programmed for Omicron, they've actually worked a little bit better. Our antibody responses were a little bit better, even to the ancestral COVID-19 strain. And these are neutralizing antibodies that they measured. Mm -hmm. And I think that the big question is, what exactly does that mean, right? And so they looked at 28 days and saw neutralizing antibody levels. What does that mean for your patient? What does that mean for the population? It is a big question. I think when vaccines were first coming out, our biggest predictor of efficacy of vaccines, you know, the protection against infection, even to a degree, the protection against severe disease was modeled quite well with how high antibody levels got, neutralizing antibodies got. And this may not be the perfect vaccine. There may be breakthroughs. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But at least based on what we know with vaccines, at least what, based on what we know with correlates of protection, there is a lot of potential for this vaccine to do more than the current vaccine in terms of 
the things we worry about, making sure vulnerable people are protected, making sure transmission is more limited. And again, the vaccine effects in the population really allow for a, a period of stability after vaccination. So in terms of the clinical significance, they did enroll a group of patients that they followed, but you mentioned the side effect profile was very similar to the original vaccine. You mentioned there was a better antibody response to both the ancestral strain as well as BA1. Now, I want to talk to you a little about the BA1 conversation. And we know that this vaccine is basically formulated towards BA1. There's a lot of talk about it protecting also against BA4 mm. and 5. So a lot of healthcare providers are thinking, well, a BA1 vaccine makes sense. It covers BA1, but how effective is it against BA4, 5? Is it effective at all? Could you explain BA1 and the correlates with BA4, 5 protection? Yeah, absolutely. So going back to that data, you saw enhanced protection, even for variants of concern that this vaccine wasn't quote-unquote programmed against Alpha and the original COVID-19 ancestral strain in Delta. And so they looked at study participants and they looked to their neutralization antibody levels for BA4, BA5. And again, they saw they were much higher with a BA1 vaccine, a bivalent vaccine, as compared to the original vaccine. They were a little bit lower than the BA1 antibody levels, but certainly they were much higher than a prior vaccine. Again, it goes with that broadening of immunity. That it's not a single antibody that's created by these vaccines. The spike protein is hundreds of base pairs. You're talking about a difference of 30 or 40 base pairs. And so you have lots of positions for antibodies to make that are cross-reactive to both. And so broadening that immunity. There's a couple of other great examples in the urine model data that's been used actually for the BA4, BA5 registration in the United States. When they looked at some of that data in terms of the mice that got the BA1 vaccine, the one that's currently used in Canada, they actually saw BA4, BA5 antibodies that were actually comparable to the BA4, BA5 vaccine. When they looked at those mice, when they challenged them with BA4, BA5, they saw markedly reduced inflammation and viral loads in their lungs, so kind of the correlate of serious disease, with both a BA1 and a BA4-5 vaccine. So I think, again, it may not be exactly as perfect as a BA4, BA5 vaccine, but I think the differences are smaller than we think. And again, goes with even our natural infection model, where we see data from places like Portugal, people that have had BA1 are still very protected against BA4, BA5. So this really talks to immune broadening. This is what our body does. It, it, it enhances protection. It slowly evolves protection. It becomes more affinity for protection over time. And we have these responses that can be adapted, that can not only be for the vaccine that we had and can be for the variant that we may not have seen and may see in a few months' time. Very interesting. The cross-reactivity or cross-neutralization concept allows for the broadening of the immunity. And I think the conferring of protection against BA4, BA5, is that also driven by the fact that they're subvariants of Omicron in terms of the genetic lineage, that they're kind of cousins? Yeah, absolutely. There are differences in terms of the number of mutations, but again, they're closer than we think. And again, as we're seeing in natural infection models, people with BA1 are being protected against getting BA4, BA5. That people with BA1 actually had really good protection against BA2. And so these subvariants of Omicron really look closer than I think we think immunologically and really does talk to the benefit of 
getting the vaccine that's available to you now instead of waiting for the vaccine that may be available to you in a few months when the immune response is going to be pretty close to the same. Yeah, and that's the question we're getting in the front lines. Should we be waiting for a tailored BA4, BA5, or should we be getting this BA1? And I think you just nailed that question uh, on its head. One interesting analogy, I'm not sure if you've heard of this before. I was talking to a colleague about thinking of the, in the way that BA1 is like a, it's a suit that's maybe not a tailor fit, but covers up BA1 and it has enough room to also fit BA4 or 5. So it is more tailored to BA1, but it's big enough to accommodate the other subvariants. But that was a very interesting way of explaining it. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty neat. I think I might use that one for later. So, <laughs> so that's one that I to stash in our pocket for sure. There we go. Moving on, in terms of eligibility, I know we know NASI recently came up with some guidelines, but in terms of who should be getting this vaccine, what kind of patient groups are we talking about? Yeah, so the vaccine is licensed for those over the age of 18, the Moderna spike vax, which has a today the current one on the market. The license indication is those over the age of 18. NASI has allowed for those between the ages of 12 and 17 who have a major immunocompromising condition or some other vulnerability based on social or other risk factors that they could be eligible off-label for uh, the vaccine. But again, NASI is also very pragmatic and talks about that there are certain people that will face higher risks of serious complications of COVID-19 that will benefit today from getting the updated vaccine. And in fact, this is the preferred vaccine for patients going forward. And so they talk about age. I think that's very reasonable. Those over the age of 60 are at higher risk than those under the age of 60. And so those people should be upfront and foremost as the risk of serious complications is mitigated by vaccination, even the original vaccine. Uh, so should be mitigated even more by a more matched and higher neutralizing antibody vaccine. Those with major immunocompromising conditions, again, because their vaccine responses may be subadequate, and so we want to make sure that they're as protective as possible. Those who are pregnant and breastfeeding, which is a newer indication, but again, one that's very important. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that those women face higher comorbidity, critical care stays, and neonatal complications from infection. And those with major medical issues or other social circumstances, like living in congregate settings, working in congregate settings, working in healthcare, living in marginalized and impoverished settings, those people also should be front of line. I think we all recognize those are the folks that are at highest risk that are overrepresented in healthcare. Not to say that everyone will benefit from this vaccine, but those are the folks that should be getting the vaccine as compared to NASI. And the rest of the population should consider getting the vaccine as a, a May level in that sense. Just going a bit more deeper into this, then for patients, we're seeing this question on the front lines, how long after their last vaccine, or if they've had a recent COVID-19 infection, should they be thinking about getting their booster shot? What kind of interval are we talking about now? Yeah, and this is a, a new issue, right? Because uh, with the last vaccine campaign, I think we didn't have a lot of people that were infected. We had some, but now, unfortunately, 60, 70% of uh, Canadians have had an infection, and some of them very recently. And NASI has made it very simple. It's six months. Six months after the last dose of a vaccine, whether it's the end of the primary series or booster shot. So it's not a distinguishing feature of how many doses one has had after their primary series. It's just you know, anything after a primary series or later that it's six months from whatever that last shot was, or six months from an infection. That goes to the point that that last shot or that last infection still gives you a window of protection. 
that we have some data from the United States that doing things too close together, like within a month or two of an infection, getting a vaccine, you may not actually be able to trigger as much of an immune response as you would like. Your body's already still ramped up dealing with the infection. And so you kind of have to give it a, a period of calm before you boost it again to kind of get those nice memory and mature immune cells. And really just, again, trying to space out that protection so that people get as much protection as they can for as long amount of time. Now, the one caveat I will say is if there is a big epidemiologic shift, there's a significant amount of transmission, there's a new variant that shows up, there's a destabilizing situation, that interval could be shortened to three months with informed consent so that, again, there is some flexibility similar to when we first saw the Omicron variant emerge in Canada, where we shortened booster intervals to very short to get as much immunity as possible in the population. I think it's very important that there could be shifting guidance depending on the prevalence of the subvariants and the epidemiological shift, as you just mentioned. Oh, I think I hear the phone ring. <laughs> so this is the Ask the Expert segment. This is my favorite part of the podcast. Uh, this is where we answer your questions from across the country, questions that you're facing on the front lines. And today we panpicked a few that we're hoping Dr. Chegla can shed some light on for us. So the first one we have here is from Nancy here in Vancouver. So talking about breakthrough infections, and we just briefly touched on it, but she's asking, are breakthrough infections less likely with this updated booster? This is a question that patients are asking us on the front lines. Is there any evidence? Is there any data to support this? Yeah, I mean, the vast majority of the data right now is still in neutralizing antibody levels. And again, we, we suspect that higher neutralizing antibody levels mean more protection against infection over time, although it's not clear how long the decay is. There is some data from a prior prototype beta vaccine that antibody levels actually last six months or later after these bivalent vaccines. And so we will see some of that last a bit longer and, and perhaps more protection against infection that we've seen with the current vaccines, which may last six to eight weeks as a fourth dose. Um, I will say that there are breakthrough infections that have been described in the Moderna analysis that was published in the New England Journal. It's a small number. And again, it's hard to make inferences for the group because we don't know about risk and profession and a lot of those other features in those groups. But there were breakthroughs seen in both groups who got either the original vaccine or the bivalent vaccine. But again, on a population level, is this going to translate into more protection against infection? What percentage? I think those studies are going to come. But at least some of the basic science and immunology behind it would suggest that there's probably some of that, and again, an advantage compared to the current vaccine. Okay, that's great to know. I think framing it in a way like we have from the start, or at least over the last year, have really focused messaging on the conversation around preventing severe infection and hospitalization versus focusing as much on the breakthrough infections. And I know that's always a challenge because you see a number in the media, a 90% effectiveness. What does that actually mean? I think really emphasizing that is also something that would be of benefit to patients. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we will get some data. Look, there are a lot of countries administering this vaccine in Canada, the UK, and other places. So we will see studies of what this means compared to a fourth original dose. We'll see studies what this means for hospitalization. I mean, we know that this is going into places like long-term care now. Mm -hmm. So these are environments that can be studied easily. And I'm sure again, in a month or two, we're going to start seeing what the benefits of this are compared to uh, the original vaccine in that sense. The next question we have is from Vanessa in Calgary. Uh, this is a good question. And it's a bit of a future think one, but will this COVID bivalent booster still work if the virus mutates again? If there's a new variant, what are your thoughts about that? 
Yeah, I mean, again, the data that we've seen with at least the bivalent vaccines not only working kind of forwards against the current variants and even future variants like BA4-5, but working backwards against some of the prior variants and then even a little bit better immunity to the original SARS-CoV-2 virus. You know, it does give a lot of hope that, that these vaccines have some longevity to them that may be more than we think just based on the variants that we currently see. virus is going to be also evolving. I don't think we discount that. And probably the way it evolves with so much immunity to the population is through immune evasion. But again, this really does talk about getting that stake in the ground now for a lot of the population to get Omicron immunity as widespread as possible, such that that barrier or that new variant or something that shows up really has a harder time to, to work through the population. And again, the healthcare impacts of that even if we do get a new variant, look, the three COVID vaccines that we had did an incredible job to protect people against being hospitalized with Omicron. So you can think about what happens now with the population having much more Omicron immunity, it's going to be even harder for the vaccine to kind of destabilize the healthcare in the pandemic. We really have to make sure that the virus, again, has a harder time to really make people sick. Again, the vaccines currently are doing great at that, but this may improve that even more. And just along those lines, we have another question here from Tiffany in Winnipeg. So let's say a patient who was unvaccinated wanted the bivalent vaccine as their primary series vaccine. How would you approach that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that potentially make sense there in terms of having some of the Wuhan virus and the original virus and actually seeing some of that in terms of an advantage for the original virus in some of the data. But right now, there's just not a lot studied there. So the recommendation is still to give the original COVID-19 vaccine, again, using this as a booster even after the primary series. So after that second dose, six months later, we're thinking about data and looking at safety profiles and looking at real-life efficacy of these vaccines. And there may be some decision-making changes based on these using them as a primary vaccine. So just more data that needs to come to it. I guess, theoretically, it would be considered off-label with the current official indication, correct? Yeah, I mean, the current official indication is for a booster vaccine for those over the age of 18. So again, Nazi's recommendations right now are to still use the original vaccine for people's primary series, including children. Again, for children under the age of 12, this formulation does not have a pediatric dose. So the current recommendations are for children and infants to get the pediatric formulated vaccines, which are right now towards the original COVID-19 ancestral strain as compared to the bivalent vaccine. Okay, perfect. Thanks again, guys, for submitting your questions. We always love to hear from you and get our experts to answer them. There's a few questions that still are on my mind when it comes to this bivalent booster conversation. There's been a lot of talk, obviously, with now flu and COVID colliding at the same time Ooh. that there's a concern that there'll be more spread and that we need to really be focusing not only on COVID, but on getting folks immunized against influenza. When you look at it from the perspective of how we explain this COVID booster to patients, sometimes I hear this analogy that it should be framed as, a, it's like your flu shot, you're going to get an annual flu shot, you're going to get an annual COVID shot. Uh, do you think that we should be framing the conversation with patients using this analogy? How would you approach that? Yeah, I mean, it's still a little bit early. And let's just say, you know, what we're talking about today is a fall booster campaign for the fall 2022, knowing what we know, knowing the tools we have now, knowing the data we have now, this is what the best tools we have in fall 2022 to work through. But 
we still don't know how this virus continues to evolve. We still don't know what the population benefits from these vaccines are going to be. And then I think this is a great year that we're going to measure them and, and have that proof of principle that uh, changing vaccines is good to help and is a nice tool. And I think there's lots of interesting things happening with the virus. And one of the things that we're seeing around the world now is what we call convergent evolution, where certain mutations are starting to show up in different chains of Omicron. It's not just BA6, BA7, BA8, BA9, but it's BA2752. And so I think that where we may go with vaccines is going to be very different in the next cycle. We might be starting to see, okay, what mutations are there that we see commonly across not only one variant, but multiple variants. I think, again, this is what the advice we're giving in fall 2022. We have so much new technology coming to the market. We have the ability to be a vaccine. We're looking at these in terms of what the population impacts are. We're only going to get better immunization strategies going in the future. And so I would say the flu shot model might be something that comes, but who knows? We may get more durable vaccines. We may get more vaccine models. We may get nasal vaccines and inhaled vaccines. And so we just use the tools that we have in any given year, and we try to maximize them in any given year to protect the population. You know, that's really interesting. The types of mutations, like you say, are emerging, that the next quote-unquote update or round of vaccinations will have to count for some of these things. You mentioned BA2 and 2.75. I just remember the 275, but any data to show a neutralization from BA1 conferring it to that particular subvariant that's emerging? So there's data for BA2, and I will say that looks very good in the same context. I will say there was actually a New England publication yesterday that looked at even three doses of the original vaccine to BA275, showing reasonable levels of neutralizing antibody, probably similar to BA1. Again, all would suggest that the benefits of an Omicron vaccine would be very similar to what we're seeing in, again, the clinical data we've seen with BA1 with an Omicron vaccine. So even better reason is this virus seems to go down pathways of more immune evasion that anchoring some Omicron immunity is going to actually give benefits even to the variants we're starting to see now emerge that have look very different than even BA4, BA5. All right. As we get closer to the holidays, believe it or not, they're coming up. I'm hearing from some patients that would like to time their bivalent booster closer to, let's say, the winter holidays, thinking that they might get optimized effectiveness if they time it closer to when they think they might get infected. Should people be timing their booster shots in this way? I, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We never know where we're going to get exposed again, where we never know when the virus is going to be with us. We're seeing more transmission in North America, we're seeing more transmission in Europe. And that wait out period is always going to be a risk period for people. That's just the bottom line. If you're eligible, it's probably worth it to take your eligibility and get the immunity to last as compared to trying to time it out appropriately. Again, we're still not sure, you know, exactly how long we have six month data from the prototype vaccine. So we may have some of that. We may have more, we may have less. At the same time, I just, you know, I don't want people to miss out on the opportunity to get their immunity up. I don't want people to miss out on the opportunity that even if they have a breakthrough infection, it's much milder. And we have data actually from the United States suggesting that people with boosters have much milder breakthrough infections than people who don't. Again, it's worth it to get it when you can get your hands on it. It's not worth it to time it out. And you don't want to be the person that was, as I've seen with many patients saying, oh, I was just booked for it next week and I got COVID and now I have to <laughs> wait it out until another few months until I get better, uh, the opportunity to be vaccinated. But I would really wish I had that fourth dose when the time came for me to get COVID in that sense. Get it now. If you're eligible and your six months has passed, you don't want to wait it out and try to time it out because the odds are you can meet COVID in the time that you're waiting for that dose of vaccine to go ahead. 
very sage advice. Shoulda, coulda, woulda is not what you want to be <laughs> thinking, saying, or doing. As a last important point, a question here is, we know that the booster has become a bit challenging even before we got the updated bivalent vaccines. It's been a challenge to convince patients across the country. We know uptake is a lot less than the primary series. Some patients feel they don't need another booster. They don't need this bivalent vaccine because the gains are incremental. They feel the benefit is not going to be substantial. How do we move the dial collectively as a healthcare community? What message would you have for healthcare providers across the country? How should they be approaching a question like this or sentiment like this on the front lines? So the last three years have affected people in all different ways. And I think we, we recognize that people have had different experiences through the pandemic. They've had different experiences with vaccines. There's been political issues. There's been mandates. There's been a lot that's really talked about vaccines in positive and negative lights. But I think at the end of the day, providers are still incredible pieces of trust. And at the end of the day, that relationship be- between a provider it goes above and beyond politics. It goes beyond above media. It goes above public health. It really is that trusted. Do you think this is right for me? Uh, and if so, I'll go get it in that sense. And if you can have those conversations with patients, it's going to benefit them more than anything else and really cut through that fatigue. I think when you talk about why you think they're going to benefit and it really does cut through the noise for patients, even in my own experience, my patients that we talk to about vaccines, that relationship often goes above and beyond everything going in the media, everything going in public health. Again, we know this disease is a disease that affects elderly, high risk, immunocompromised, multiple medical conditions, people of certain marginalized statuses, people in certain congregational communities, those folks are going to benefit from those conversations more than anything else. And those people that you really want to make sure your efforts are going out to, to make sure that they're optimized in protection. At the end of the day, you're the provider, you're the trusted voice. And just really, really reflect on that too, because you're the one who can get that patient immunized more than anything else. For the providers listening to today's episode, really look to build on the relationships you have with your patients as a starting point. Excellent advice, Zane. A nice boost for our providers listening in. You have a pandemic that's changing by the day in terms of the data we're getting, but also understanding that also means that some of the messaging might change. And really, we can't say we've conquered this, that we still have to keep going. And, and persist and really try and engage patients in new novel ways. That trust is really the foundation and key element, as you have just said. Dr. Zane Chagla, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation, a very important one. I think this really encompasses everything that a healthcare provider needs to know about the updated bivalent vaccine. And finally, keep in mind that Zane is the star of the new Netflix show, The Bivalent Booster Den. I encourage you to take a look at it. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Just as an update, a second COVID mRNA bivalent booster targeting the BA4 and BA5 subvariants was just approved in Canada shortly after this conversation was recorded and it's indicated for patients 12 years and older. Aaron, you forgot to mention, as a reminder, we kinda have to say this, the opinions expressed on the Find My Vaccine podcast are for educational purposes only and do not constitute nor replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with your healthcare provider if you have any concerns or questions about your health. Check out the links in the podcast show notes and go out there and get your COVID booster if you're eligible.